click back. Do not reload. We have reconnected to Dimension 404. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. If this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast exploring science fiction anthology storytelling during television's first golden age, beginning with The Twilight Zone. But with Dimension 404 premiering on Hulu way back on April 4th, um, I'm covering each episode of Rocket Jump's anthology sci-fi series in this bonus episode series. You can find more of Anthology at AnthologyPod.com as well as a full archive of episodes at anthologypod.com slash archive. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, tweet me at obsessiveviewer, or send me an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. If you like what you hear and you want to help support the podcast, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. The ratings and reviews I get, the, uh, the ratings and reviews I get help um, increase the visibility of the podcast on the internet in general and, uh, and really provide me with some great feedback and, uh, makes it easier for people to find the show essentially. Uh, and finally, if you want to show your support with your wallet, you can always do that by donating to anthology, uh, by clicking the donate button in the show notes of the episode or at anthologypod.com. And also you can go to the Obsessive Viewer T Public store where you can get official anthology and Obsessive Viewer merch and shirts. The t-shirts look really, really good. Um, so just go to uh, tpublic.com and type in Obsessive Viewer or ObsessiveViewer.com in the search bar and you'll find it there. Um, any donations and any purchases and anything, any support of any kind really is, uh, is really appreciated and all the monetary donations will be, will be used, uh, to help keep, uh, keep the podcast running and, and allow me to do what I do here. And, uh, yeah, so today I will be discussing Polybius. It's the fourth episode of Dimension 404's first season that premiered on April 4th, back on, uh, on, uh, uh, April 4th, 2017 on Hulu. Um, this episode is actually the first episode that aired after the first batch of episodes was released. So this one came out on, uh, April 11th, um, I believe. Um, and I am going to go ahead and read the plot summary real quick. Um, and it's worth noting also that they haven't announced whether or not Dimension 404 will have a second season yet. Uh, there was a post on Facebook way back in April that purported to be uh, an announcement for season two, but it turned out to be a hoax from a, of a, uh, from a different non-official uh, Dimension 404 page. So I don't know if they've... I don't know if the, I don't know if they're going to have a second season. Um, it hasn't been announced yet, but the show hasn't been officially canceled or anything by Hulu. So, um, I mean, it could we could get another one. I'm not sure, but all right, I'm going to go ahead and read the plot summary from IMDb. A young arcade junkie attempts to master Polybius, a sinister new game of unknown origin that introduces that induces nightmarish visions. But when kids start dying, he must beat the game to unlock its deadly secrets. And uh, it's worth noting that this this plot, this this entire episode, is based on an urban legend um, uh, about a game called Polybius that was allegedly um, released discreetly 
in the suburbs of like uh, Portland, Oregon, I think, um, back in the eighties. And that the, the legend goes that essentially, um, this game popped up in arcades around Portland, Oregon for about a month. And then throughout that time frame, uh, people became obsessed with it. And there was, there were, uh, people were lining up to play it in the arcades. And then they had men in black suits come in and, uh, basically, go through it and, and get data and everything. There was a lot of like, the legend goes, I should say that they, uh, that players of it became obsessed with it. And, and it was, it was all this government conspiracy to, uh, for, with subliminal messages to, to people playing the games and stuff. Um, it hasn't been corroborated anywhere. It's, it's, I mean, it's an urban legend. It's, it's likely not true. Um, there's no evidence to, to speak of, um, about it, but it is a pretty pervasive urban legend in the gaming community from the sound of it. And starring in this episode is Ryan Lee as Andrew Myers. Uh, his credits include Super 8, uh, This is 40 and Goosebumps. And co-starring as Amy is Gabrielle Elise. She was in an episode of Modern Family and an episode of Blackish. And rounding out the cast is Sterling Beaumont as Jess, who appeared in five episodes of Lost as uh, the young version of uh, Ben. Um, writer for this episode, uh, writing credits for this episode are Des Dolly and Will Campos, and director is Des Dolly. Now, of course, uh, going forward, I am going to be spoiling the episode Polybius. Um, so if you haven't seen it yet, go over to, uh, Hulu and check it out and, uh, then come back and listen to the review. So my initial thoughts when, when I, when the episode first started is that I was kind of excited that it was an arcade episode. I hadn't, I hadn't heard anything about this Polybius urban legend or anything. I had no idea that it was a thing prior to seeing this episode. So I liked the introduction of the episode. It's very, it's very, the setup is really, uh, is really economic. I, I use that word a lot on this podcast, but it's very, it's a great condensed way to introduce the episode that it's an, it's a period piece set in the eighties. It's, um, it is an arcade centric episode with video games at the center of it. Um, the main character, Andrew is, uh, part of a family that is very, uh, religious from the sound of it. Um, and that he is hiding in, like, he hides rolls of quarters in his Bible, like Shawshank Redemption style. Uh, I thought that was a nice touch. Um, it didn't really, I wouldn't say that it didn't, didn't really track. It's just like, it's, it, it was a nice, it was a nice, uh, touch to the storyline. But I, like, I kept thinking, like, well, what if his, what if his dad finds it? Like, I mean, that's, that's the Bible. Like, his dad is super religious. Like, wouldn't he find it in the Bible? But, um, but yeah, I thought, I just thought that was a nice touch and a nice reference to Shawshank Redemption, which is one of my favorite movies. And just from the outset, I really liked the tone of the episode. We get a scene with Andrew just playing his, playing his, uh, playing the arcade games at Wilma's arcade. And it's just the aesthetic of it is very, uh, it's, it's a very slick episode and slick production style. You get a sense of like the, the kind of the synth music that's playing is very eighties and the, um, the set decoration is, is very much steeped in the eighties. Um, and then you get the introduction of Amy who she, 
having just recently seen Black Mirror, it just reminded me like the way that she's she's dressed and everything just reminded me so much of of uh, San Junipero that that episode of Black Mirror. And then we get a kind of uh, the first not wrinkle in the story, but we get the we get kind of a surprise in that the main character Andrew he is he's gay and he's he's a closeted uh, gay kid. And I thought that was really interesting because we see him pining after Jess, who's his friend. And that's like that, that combined with the introduction of the, the plot line that, that he is an aspiring, uh, video game journalist in getting rejected because he doesn't have any new games or he has, he isn't writing about any new games. All of that is a really good setup for why Andrew is drawn to Polybius and uh, why he wants to get out of Beaverton. Because the entire episode is just, he's just saying that he doesn't like the town that he's in because he doesn't, it's understandable because he can't be himself. He can't like open up and, and be himself or anything. He's just, he's he's hiding uh, within himself. And that's just everything that's, is setting up the episode is just set up pretty well for this, for this uh, episode here. And then we get the introduction of Polybius as the game. And, and all of this is before the opening, the opening narration too, which I thought was, was pretty cool. But the introduction of Polybius is that it spits out a, a quarter to, to Andrew as he passes by. And that kind of reminded me of the episode of the twilight zone, the fever, with the one arm bam one on one armed bandit that's a sentient machine. And then that's when we get the narration by Mark Hamill where um <laughs> I, I, I chuckled at this. I probably shouldn't have chuckled that hard at it, but when he says welcome to nineteen eighty four oh four, I thought, okay, that's sure. Alright, I'll give you that. Good good job, Rocket Jump. Um so yeah, so we get more a little bit more about uh, Andrew's closeted homosexuality. And I, I just think that's a really interesting subject for the show to tackle. I honestly wasn't expecting something so serious to be depicted in, in this show. I mean, it's been so far, it's been kind of a campy, um, sci-fi anthology show. And it's just like, that's, that's a pretty serious subject and it's handled pretty, pretty, uh, pretty nicely. Um, so we get the introduction of the game. It's basically a maze game that he's being chased by a demon or a demon is, is blocking his way and he keeps moving in, uh, moving in. That's how he racks up the high scores. Um, and then we get a little piece of, uh, or, or we get a look, we get a look at one of his, uh, painful experiences in, in schools that he's a freshman in high school and he, um, is afraid to, shower after gym class. And so this scene was, this scene was kind of, I wouldn't say confusing to me, but it didn't, it didn't really track that well with me that he is basically having a conversation with his friend Dennis. And, uh, so, so he and his friend are talking and he, he's kind of giving Dennis this pep talk, like, just keep your head down and just, just keep going and, and, you know, uh, just let it go. And then the upperclassmen kind of corner him and it's implied that they're sticking a finger up their ass. Um, that's the implication that I'm gathering from it. Um, and so Dennis is, Dennis is 
basically cornered and uh, Andrew flees and, and runs away and leaves him leaves him be. So that gets that gets uh, a scene or two later. It gets um, referenced when Dennis comes to the arcade and uh, basically assaults um, <laughs> Andrew and threatens him. And I thought that 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 scene didn't really work for me that well because like we get the introduction of Dennis, like the one scene we get of him is that it seems like they're friends. It seems like Andrew and Dennis are friends. And then just the fact of, of Andrew leaving Dennis behind, it suddenly turns Dennis into essentially an antagonistic character that it just seemed, it seemed kind of weird that we get the establishing scene of Dennis and Andrew as friends, which also is kind of confusing because I guess not confusing, but we get the establishment that, that Jess is best friends with, with Andrew. And then we get this other, this other friend character who they're talking in, in the locker room. And then suddenly after one discretion or one, uh, transgression, Dennis pops up at the arcade as essential, like he's essentially just the same as the bullies. And that, that didn't really sit well with me because like he was the victim of bullying from the upperclassmen. And then the next scene we see him, the fact that Andrew abandoned him to be bullied, turns him into the exact, thing that he was a victim of and that just i don't know that just didn't really i don't know it i guess it makes sense like it makes it obviously makes sense that dennis would be pissed at andrew but it didn't really make that much sense to me or it didn't really track that well with me um and then previous to all of this we get the introduction of the kid with the uh, headgear who threatens that he doesn't threaten andrew but he warns andrew not to play polybius because it'll eat his quarter and uh then after the Dennis in the arcade scene we uh get the reveal that the headgear the headgear kid died um which i thought was which i thought was kind of funny because later in the episode um <laughs> like like the headgear uh, headgear kid is named like i think his name was Melvin and later in the episode uh Andrew refers to him as headgear kid. And I thought like that was kind of, that was kind of weird and kind of funny. And uh, I don't know. It just, it made me laugh a little bit in a moment that, uh, probably wasn't intended to be, I don't know if it wasn't intended to be comedic, but it was a pretty serious scene for him to, for him to reveal in that, in that moment. So I like the character of Amy because she is this, I mean, she's kind of a, she's kind of just a general, general quirky character, but I like that she is this, she's like the new kid in town who is not afraid to try to make friends or she kind of seems a little, a little, uh, well, quirky is the way that I would describe her essentially. But she's trying real hard, really hard to, to be friends with Andrew and, and Jess. And it's kind of, it's a little forced that she's part of like their group and everything in their, in their group, but it's not, She's charming enough that, that it's, and quirky and charming enough that it, it works for the character and it works for the episode. Um, and I really like the scene in the hallway of the high school where Amy is talking to Andrew and is just saying, um, she's implying that she knows, 
Oh, that's that's what it was. She was she was gonna defend defend Andrew by putting a dead animal in uh in Dennis's locker. And so Andrew just says, no, don't worry about it. Just let it be and everything. And uh, his whole thing is that he wants to keep his head down and just get through it and everything because he wants to get out of the town and everything. But uh, she she has uh, deduced that he's that he's gay. And she kind of implies that by saying, like, well, he called you he called you a terrible word. And uh, and that's that's a horrible thing to say, especially if someone's different um and andrew just kind of discards her and says that she he's he doesn't know what she's talking about she needs to she needs to drop it they're not friends and everything and and uh he just he just kind of recoils and, and gets into his shell essentially but the line that i really liked was that she said believe it or not uh she and again i i like that she i like that she refers to him as kill screen I just think that that's a charming like nickname and it comes up organically in the episode. But she says, believe it or not, kill screen. I know, I know about being different. Um, which I really like how, how that it's, it's an understated thing because she's, she's a minority and, and it's just, it's an understated thing. And I really like how this episode deals with, with its subject matter, whether it's closeted homosexual or, or, someone being a minority, um, and not fitting in. And it's just, it's just a really, uh, I really like the way that it, that it's dealt with essentially. Um, so we get a lot of ominous things throughout the episode and, and the whole idea of Polybius being this demon that is, uh, that is killing the kids that play the game. It's, it's a pretty dark episode, but there's a scene where, um, Andrew, um, I believe he, he wakes from a nightmare when he sees Dennis. I don't, I don't think that's when he sees that, but, but, um, he wakes from a nightmare and hears a noise in his closet and he takes a plastic sword and lights it up and, and goes to, to defend himself, um, in his room. I thought that was, I thought that was funny and, and kind of nice. I don't know if there's anything to be said about that, that he's, that he's a closeted homosexual and he's, you know, he's going toward a, a dark closet that's housing a demon in it that he's going to confront. I don't know if there's something there intentionally or, or if I'm reading into it, but if whatever it is, it's, it's a nice uh, bit of subtext for the episode. And then after that is the introduction of um, the fact that the characters that play the game are branded with the uh, demonic Satan, image and everything. And I really liked the makeup effect of that because, or it might've been digital. I don't know, but I, I really like the way that it's depicted because it looks really painful. Like they're, it looks like they're branded. And I just, I just really liked that. And then I think around that time is when, yes, that is when it's revealed that Dennis was, was killed, which I thought was with a little bit, not, not enough fanfare for that. I would say, um, it was just kind of like, uh, Oh, Hey, Dennis is dead too. Okay. Um, but there's a detective in the, um, <laughs> in the school that I thought this was really funny because Andrew confront, confronts him like next to the gym teacher and is like, oh, there's this video game that they're, they're controlling people and, and they're killing the kids that play it and stuff. And I'm having these dreams and everything. And then, so the detective is just such a 
dick to him and um has this like hands him a notebook and it's like here he's like he's very condescending and it's like this this scene just works for me as as a bit of comedy but he's just like uh why don't you go ahead and write down all your scary dreams and all all of your everything you say and then just and just you write them down here and, and give give it to your uh to your mom and dad and they can they can help you with it <laughs> it's just i just i i loved that scene both times that i watched this episode i was i was cracking up at that and then after that is the introduction of Ken Forey, um, which I was very pleased to see him in this episode because uh, the original Dawn of the Dead is one of my favorite movies um, just in general. And I like the way that Ken Forey is is this ominous character. He, he reminded me a lot of, at least in that specific scene this in the school, he reminded me a lot of Tony Todd from uh, Final Destination kind of this all knowing um uh kind of ominous uh character with like a very deep voice and uh who's who knows more than what he's letting on in it it's uh i thought it was really good uh really good performance from Ken Forey who Ken Forey he is he's 69 years old and he looks really good for his age like that's that was I was surprised by that so then we get after that there's a a scene with um Andrew at, at home where his father is telling him that he needs to pray or, or he asks what he's doing and he says, Oh, I'm saying my prayers. But I want to kind of point out that scene because I really like the way that the, the father character is depicted in the episode. He's, he's kind of like a, like a peanuts adult character where like we only hear his voice through the door. And I mean, he, it might as well, it might as well be like a, gibberish thing like in the like in peanuts and charlie brown but um i like how uninvolved it is it kind of plays to the kind of the 80s uh teen sci-fi movie motif i guess that they're that they're going for kind of reminds me of of like how it's like a kid adventure story so like the adults aren't really that um integral to the plot they're kind of uninvolved and it's just basically strictly the kid's perspective. And I, and I like that. And then we get the religious element of it that, that Andrew has kind of taken, uh, he's, he's using his religious upbringing and everything to figure out that Polybius is, uh, he goes into the whole backstory of a, of a saint that was used as the muse for artists to, uh, create art in God's image. And then he, uh, God took credit for it. So then, um, Polybius got mad and, and had, an artist create, I'm going off of memory, had an artist create, um, art in his image and Polybius images image. And then God cast him out and everything. I thought that was a really nice angle to bring to the episode and, and a really nice, uh, um, bit of backstory, uh, for the, for the, uh, episode. And, and it fit well with Andrew's character cause he would know that information since he was in a, uh, strictly religious family. Um, and at that point, the episode kind of feels like Stranger Things by way of Rocket Jump, like Rocket Jump's, um, I guess not answer to Stranger Things, because I don't, because at this time the episode would have been, the show would have, was in production before Stranger Things had premiered. It went into production, I believe, June and July of last year, um, in 2016, and like, months before stranger things uh premiered so it's a nice it's a nice coincidental um 
tone that both both uh, this episode and Stranger Things struck. Uh, very much eighties kid movie thing, or not kid movie, but eighties supernatural thing. Um, so it kind of just it felt it reminds me of Stranger Things. And if you like Stranger Things, you would likely enjoy this episode of Dimension Four Hundred Four because it's kind of right in that same wheelhouse. And at this point, I was the first time watching this episode. I it was like one a.m. Um, on a I think Friday night, um, and I was only halfway through the episode. And I was just kind of it was starting to starting to feel its runtime a little bit. I was really enjoying it. I was liking the episode a lot so far. And in the moment, I really thought, and still think so far that it's the that visually speaking, it's Dimension Four Hundred Four's most striking episode. But I kind of at that point just kind of wanted it to at least get propelled, like the, the momentum to get going or for the episode to just kind of be over with. Um, again, that may have been because it was 1 a.m. when I was watching it and I was tired. But when I when I uh, on my repeat viewings, I kind of felt that, too, at that at that point, it was kind of lagging just a little bit. Um, and when they kind of when they're in the arcade and they're they're making their plans to to uh, figure out what they're doing and, and they're kind of going through the idea of, of taking down Polybius. I got kind of a, uh, an, are you afraid of the dark vibe from the nineties? Like I kind of really got that vibe from it. Um, and so they decide to Jess, Jess, Andrew and, and, uh, Amy decide to go through records and everything and try to figure out what, where this came from. And th- that's when we get this really sweet scene between Amy and, um, Andrew, where Amy just kind of levels with him and she's like, I think that you and Jess would be a cute couple. And I know, like, I know you don't want to talk about it, but I'm just saying, Hey, um, I think you guys would be a cute couple. And then like that, that's such a sweet, tender scene between the two characters. And I really like the, I like the response to, um, to Andrew being like, oh, I don't I, like, I don't know what you're talking about or whatever, or, uh, or I don't think he is interested in me. Like, like he says that he doesn't think that Jess is interested in me. And then, um, Amy just says he sorts your mail. <laughs> um, and I just, I thought that was a really sweet scene, even though it, um, leads to a very painfully awkward scene, which I'll get to in just a second, because the next scene is Andrew going into the back office where, um, where Jess is, is going through the records and everything. And this was the, this, this scene in particular didn't work for me because it just, it just seemed a little too, uh, a little too off and a little too weird and out of place to me because he, there's this whole big thing where he is, he sees a character at the, at the desk with their head on the desk and he thinks that it's Jess for a second. So he's like creepily going up to, and then he turns on the light and, Nope, it's it's Wilma, the owner of the arcade, slumped over her desk uh, with a drink next to her, and it's it's weird to me because Jess comes up and says that she's sleeping, but I mean her eyes are open and the snores, there's like a snoring sound effect and and like they're talking very like they're not whispering exactly and they don't bother to turn off the light or anything. It it was just a very strange scene, and I kind of wonder if maybe th- it was originally going to be that Wilma was dead, and that maybe they ADR'd in 
um, dialogue and snoring sound effects to make it look like she's there to make it to change it to her just being asleep. Um, I have no, I have no notes or anything to corroborate this or anything. It's just a, a feeling that I get from the way the scene unfolds. Cause there's no real explanation about why she's just, she's just slumped over her desk and apparently asleep. Um, there's no, there's no explanation about why she's there, or why she's asleep or why she sleeps with her eyes open or anything. It was just, it was just a really weird scene, but, um, but it wasn't, but it wasn't, it didn't detract too much from the episode. But then we get the big scene with, with Andrew and Jess where Andrew tries to kiss him and it's, it's so painfully awkward and, and, uh, just cringeworthy, like how he, he gets rejected. It's just, you really feel for Andrew in that moment. Um, and it's just really, yeah, it, it was, it was painful to watch. And so they tie up. Ken Forey, because Ken Forey comes into the uh, arcade and then they tie him up and everything. And then he suddenly gets killed by Wilma. And that's the big reveal that Wilma is like the big bad of the episode. And we get a lot of really good backstory and everything. Like, I really like the motivation of the Wilma character because she's saying that she's she created Polybius and she knows she sees what um, what Polybius does to humans and she doesn't want him to do it to her. So that's why she's facilitating, uh, Polybius to murder a bunch of kids in random towns. Like it's a despicable thing, but it's just, it's a really interesting motivation for it. It's not that she's, she's not like possessed by the demon or anything per se. She's just like, Hey, I know that he's, you know, I know that he's killing a bunch of people in very, very grotesque and terrible ways. I just don't want to die. <laughs> um, I thought that was really cool. And so she gets them all tied up and everything. And then Amy sort of dies, which I was shocked at first, but then they kind of reverse it later. And I thought that that was kind of, I wouldn't say cheap because it fits, fits with the tone of the episode and the kind of the, the trio. It works that they get back together. But in that moment where she gets her soul sucked out of her, um, it was, it would have been more impactful if she was dead for real. But it, it did propel us into a scene where Andrew and, um, and Jess are fleeing the arcade. And then Andrew puts, essentially, Andrew puts, um, Jess into the same situation that he found himself in with Dennis in the, in the locker room. It's, it's kind of a reversal there. Like Andrew is Andrew and Jess are, are going to flee and then Andrew stops and he's just like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to run away this time. I'm tired of hiding. And it's just, it's a really, that's maybe my favorite scene of the episode is that he's just leveling with Jess and saying like, hey, people are going to die. We're going to die either way. Um, people are going to keep dying because of this and I'm tired of hiding and I, I just want to, I just want to be myself and I just want to get through this. Um, and he even says, like, I, I, I love you, Jess, but I know that you're not, I know that you don't feel the same way and that's okay, but I can't just keep running and I can't, can't keep hiding who I am. It's like, it's a very impactful scene. Like, it's, it's a big, a big moment for both characters and for the episode itself. And then the way that they resolve the actual plot is that they go into the game, essentially, um, which I thought was kind of, kind of weird, but I, I like the visual effects of it. Um, and so I, I thought that was that, that was fine. 
but they go into like the heart of the game and they, or Andrew goes first and like his whole idea is that he needs to get a kill screen to destroy the game and thereby destroy the demon and everything. And we get a suspenseful moment where he is, he's about to play the, or he's looking at the game and trying to break the game. Um, when Jess just pops up and it, it like, it's kind of silly and kind of weird. And we get this whole, like just saying, like, I thought about what you said and I, and like reiterating essentially the point that was made by Andrew and to show that they're in the same level. And I, I thought that was, I mean, it was okay. It was just a little distracting. Um, but it fit well with the climax of the episode. Cause Jess, uh, like lured the beast toward him so that Andrew would, uh, would get the kill screen. And of course he only has one quarter. So that makes the, it makes it suspenseful too. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, and I thought that was a good way to resolve the plot. Um, because he has to get a kill screen to destroy the game and then, and then he's all good. It, it tracks well with the episode. And then of course, at the end of it, everyone's happy. Everything's good to go. And, um, everyone's, everyone's back to normal. But the thing, like, and it's, it's a little cheesy at the end with the big group hug and, and, uh, they have to carry Andrew out. Um, they have to carry Andrew out, but it doesn't really make sense because they're, I, it didn't really show that he, like, he wasn't injured at all. Like, there was no explanation of why they have to carry him out. Um, I thought that was kind of silly. But maybe my biggest issue is that there's no real resolution to the Wilma plot. Um, cause Amy just knocks her out after she comes back to life and she just knocks her out. And then they're like, all right, let's go home and uh, let's not play any video games anymore. But I was just like, I, like, do they, do they call the authorities? Like, like what happens with Wilma? Did, like, cause they didn't kill her. She's just knocked out from the baseball bat. It's like, I, like, I kind of found myself and this is nitpicking, I'm sure, but I was just thinking like, why, like, that doesn't, that doesn't end the, like, that doesn't, like, she just murdered someone in front of you. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was, it kind of made me wonder, like, what's next? Like, how do they resolve that? But there was no explanation for that. But it's all, but it's all fine because over the end credits, and I'm not being facetious at all, I, cause I genuinely enjoy this, but over the end credits, we get this really cool 80s synth music playing, and it's just, it, I, I really liked it. It brought me into the, the period of the episode. The music throughout the entire episode is just really fantastic. And I, and I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. And that's, that's pretty much Polybius. Uh, um, honestly, even though it has its shortcomings and has its confusing moments and, and some things that didn't track, I honestly think that this is, I don't know if I would say the best episode of Dimension 404 yet, but it is one of the more, in- enjoyable ones that I've seen and it's visually it's the it's the best looking one in my opinion um there are moments where the special effects are kind of cheesy like the actual polybius like beast effect is is kind of a little bit a little bit um a little bit silly but like there's a moment where um where Andrew is playing polybius before the big like showdown at the end but he's playing it and then it's like the the walls of the game come like uh shoot past him and he becomes like in the game and it's showing visually like how he is how he is very much entranced by the game and he's playing it. and just that's a really cool visual technique to to show in the episode and i thought that it, it was done well um so visually it's the it's the strongest episode of dimension 404 and also the subtext of this kid who's 
closeted uh, closeted homosexual who's 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 uh who hates who kind of hates what his station in life is like he hates um that he can't get out of this town and he hates everything about the town he's just a very much an uncomfortable angry kid who's who's learning to you know accept who he is and 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 where he is and with the with the help of his friends it's it's a good it's a good strong episode in that respect so i mean maybe it would be my favorite episode now that i'm saying it out loud even though it has some issues here and there but it was it was the one that i'm like more likely to go back and watch again um at this point but i still have two episodes left um and that'll actually pretty much do it for this for this bonus episode now that i'm saying it out loud um yeah, so that is it for this bonus episode. Next time in my bonus episode series, I'm going to be doing a review of Bob, the penultimate episode of Dimension 404. And, uh, and yeah, and then on the main feed, we're going to be doing a review of The Howling Man from season two of The Twilight Zone, uh, which I'm really excited about because that, that was a really, really good episode. And I'm really uh, looking forward to reviewing that one. And the bonus review for that episode is going to be Ex Machina, one of my favorite, favorite, uh, sci-fi movies that came out in, uh, the last couple years. And then after that, we're going to be doing, uh, Oh, Eye of the Beholder, which will be a huge episode for, uh, for me because it's a big, uh, a big episode of the Twilight Zone. And, uh, I'm hoping I can, you know, review it with some justice. Um, yeah. So in also keep forgetting to mention this. If you're in the Indianapolis area, come to Shocktober in Irvington, uh, one night event screening of short horror films from local filmmakers. I will put a promo in the, uh, at the end of this episode. If you use, if you buy your tickets, you, and you use the promo code podcast two, you'll get $1 off your, the price of admission. So go check that out at shocktobernervington.com. And finally, 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 um, I did launch a third podcast for under the obsessiveviewer.com umbrella. Me and Tiny, who I, who I, uh, who co-hosts Obsessive Viewer with me, we launched a, a podcast devoted to Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower. The podcast is called Tower Junkies. We're basically just talking all things Dark Tower and Stephen King. We're going to have um, book reviews of each book in the series, and we're going to go kind of part by part in each book of the Dark Tower series. But we're also going to be talking about the adaptation. We're going to be talking about the connected books and Stephen King's work that connect back to the Dark Tower. And we're going to also do just just general conversations about the Dark Tower, about Stephen King, and we're going to also be reviewing other Stephen King books and movies and shows that aren't directly tied to the Dark Tower. So go check that out. It's called Tower Junkies. You can find it at towerjunkiespod.com. And uh, yeah, uh, that'll do it for this bonus episode of Anthology. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Tickets are on sale now for the fourth annual Shocktober in Irvington presented by 
the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Join the hosts of the Obsessive Viewer on October 6th, 2017 at the Irving Theater for a one-night event screening of short horror films, including the premiere screenings of the latest film in J.P. Leck's cross-medium elsewhere world universe, the latest film from Snapshot Productions, and much more. Come celebrate the horror genre in the historic Irvington area and meet the filmmakers with live Q&As after each screening. You can also win DVDs and Blu-rays, movie-related party games, horror-themed Funko Pop figures, gift cards to Irvington businesses, and so much more. Tickets are on sale now at shocktoberinirvington.com. All proceeds go directly to the Irvington Historical Society. And whether at the Irving Theater or in your nightmares, we will be seeing you on the 6th of October. Thank you for listening to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For more of Anthology and a full archive of my episodes, go to AnthologyPod.com. And if you want to help support the show, the easiest way you can do that is by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. You can also make donations to the show courtesy of the donate link in the show notes of each episode and on AnthologyPod.com. For recurring donations, you can become a patron at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer and just choose one of the Anthology reward tiers. If you enjoy Anthology, feel free to check out The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friend Tiny and occasional guest co-hosts over at ObsessiveViewer.com. You can also join The Obsessive Viewer Facebook group at Facebook.com slash TheObsessiveViewer. For book reviews and commentary on the world of reading, check out our sister site at ObsessiveBookNerd.com. And for philosophical discussions from a secular viewpoint, check out my friends Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Finally, if you'd like to contact me with your thoughts on the show, my reviews, my bonus reviews, or for any other reason, you can tweet me at ObsessiveViewer, send me an email at Matt at ObsessiveViewer.com, or send me a message on Facebook and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.